let's get cranking here with the Chris Collinsworth podcast. And uh, as we love to do, we have to check in on a little fantasy football and we'll glance around the league with everybody. Joining me today is uh, Ian, how hard can it be hardest? And Dwayne, the Rock McFarlane uh, checking in. How are you guys? Doing great, Chris. Great to uh, be talking again. We were on here uh, in August, and now basically the whole league's been uh, flipped on its head. So a lot to uh, catch up on, but yeah, man, always good to talk. Yep. So, so Doing... give me, give me from a fantasy standpoint, like what's rocked the world, right? What is it that like nobody could have foreseen this coming into the football season? I'll start with this and then throw it over to Dwayne. It's got to be Cordero Patterson. And I have had, Chris, in my Twitter bio for five years that I am the president of the Cordero Patterson fan club because I refuse to live in a world where the best kick returner, not punt, kick, so Bears fans, Devin Hester, stands, chill out. But the idea that you could have someone be that good and call him a bust was always ridiculous to me. And up until 2020, the guy was number one all time in yards per carry, but never even in my wildest dreams did I think Cordero Patterson would be sitting here as a top five running back after seven weeks of action. So for me, it's been a, what, 10, 11 year veteran having by far the best production of his year. Easily my favorite part. And he did it a little bit in New England too. I remember we called some games of his up there and I go, damn, this guy could run man i mean he's 235 pounds and but he never became the guy you know they sort of always just experimented with it yeah court patterson's the easiest one like that that blows everyone away i I guess my second place would probably be mike williams you know at receiver um you know he's a guy that he was early he was an early round pick but was just really used in a different way kind of the same thing as patterson it's like you know arthur smith has done a good job of moving him all around he gets carries in the backfield they move him out wide they throw him fades do things they think he can do well and i guess it's really the same thing with mike williams no longer is he just the stretch you know the field stretcher that are actually using him more in that Michael Thomas role and in Joe Lombardi's offense. And he's really thriving. You know, he got injured before the bye week, but it looks like he's going to be fine coming back. So I don't think anyone expected Mike Williams to be in the top 10 receivers um, in any kind of scoring format this season. I mean, it used to be I could hit play on you two guys at the beginning of the season. It was like, er, you had your exact answers. And I always wondered about uh, almost halfway through the season where you start going, how in the hell could you have possibly foreseen that? <laughs> how could you have done it? I will say Mike Williams came on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And like, oh, a lot, a, a, here we go. every time, every time I got to have the athlete on, I tried to set him up at the end. I was like, hey, you know, want any final words for the fantasy investors? out there and Mike Williams out of all of them was the one guy that just looked right in the camera and said pick me if you want to win fantasy games this year so M- M- Mike's now the whole time <laughs> beautiful a little inside information for you right there <laughs> so I, I also want to know we did a worst ball right at the beginning of the year a little twist on everything we did you had to try to pick the losing team in fantasy football and and all I remember is that I made the best pick out of the whole thing, right? <laughs> I made the best pick. 
So a lot of people in best ball, for those that don't know, best ball is just where you draft a team in August before the season starts, and you don't have to pick anyone up. It just optimizes your lineup after each and every week. And it's called best ball because it takes the best plays. We want to do the opposite. And Chris, just in a moment of brilliance, decided to take Christian McCaffrey in the first round, obviously knowing that he would get hurt. So Chris, great job, but you actually are not in last. That award, honor, whatever you want to call it, goes to PFF Steve for the time being while we got George. Shiruri uh, coming in as the worst uh, worst best player so far. So now, now let me get it right. So Steve is actually winning the worst ball with the worst team. Is that right? So the way we, and, I mean, and George you, has the best team, which means he's in last place. Yeah, exactly. Yes, got that's it. it. I got it. Okay, I got it. All right, that's that's the way things usually work at PFF. That's the sort of <laughs> nobody can even understand when they're winning or when they're losing. So, all right, I, I always do this. I love doing this. I'll let you guys chime in whenever you uh, feel so uh, engaged. Uh, the PFF team of the week. I like to give these guys a little credit. Derek Carr, thirty-one of thirty-four, three hundred twenty-three yards, two touchdowns, ninety-one percent completion percentage. He's going to be the quarterback uh and the cleveland browns to ernest johnson once again confirming does it really matter who it is running the football or is it all about the offensive line play and d ernest like so i know sometimes with these guys particularly in fantasy we just see okay like a running back, if they can get 20 touches, we'll sign up for that. It's hard to bust too much when you're getting that much usage. But just the owner's efficiency was crazy. He tied for our highest single-game rushing grade of the season. So it wasn't just like he was a productive fill-in. He made the absolute most out of each and every one of those touches. It was great to see. A.J. Brown, once again, at wide receiver. Seems like he's been there every single week. And Jamar Chase, this is my favorite stat they showed. Dick. Jamar is 255 yards away from breaking my rookie record with the Bengals of 1,009 <laughs> yards. He literally is going to break that record at the midway point in the season. And all I'm going to be talking about five years from now is, yeah, but he did it in a 17-game schedule. <laughs> That's it. I'm going with it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it right there. He is 255 yards away from going over 1,000. That is sick. He might do it. It's possible. It is possible that we could flex into a Bengals game, and he might do it with me right there. That would be really fun. I would like that. Uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. We talked about Kyle Pitts forever during the course of, of the preseason, and now he's playing a lot more wide receiver, but he's hot, right? Yeah, Pitts is looking great. I mean, I, I think the key, you know, for all the tight ends when we look at them in fantasy, you know, Chris, obviously Pitts is playing well. But, like, when they get up to 80% of the routes and they're not having to stay in and block, which he is not, like you said, he's out playing wide. He's playing all these different positions. And then he's getting targeted 29%, 27% of the time that he's in a route. Like, it's just – it's really hard when you're a player that that's good, that, you know, is that good to not really come through. And he's finished as the PPR tight end three and PPR tight end two over the last two games. He's now up to seventh, you know, on the season. So, yeah, he is playing great. Smoking here's, it. Here's, so Here's my thing with Pitts, though, real quick. Yeah, he's a great player, and we can even remove the tight end thing if you just look at rookies, weeks one through seven since 2010, six most receiving yards. So putting out the production, don't want to take anything away from him, but we are like three years away from people saying, oh, look at Kyle Pitts compared to Rob Gronkowski's start of his career when they don't play the same position. 
We only have two tight ends this year that have lined up in the slot or out wide on over 70% of their snaps. Kyle Pitts at 73% and Mike Desicki at 94%, which is even more maddening. But I don't know, Chris, like, isn't it annoying to you when we, we're going to watch Kyle Pitts probably break Mike Ditka's 50-plus year record for most touchdowns by a rookie tight end when they play completely different positions? No, I just like it when you get mad and your voice goes out like <laughs> yeah. that. And I know that it's going to be something interesting coming out of your mouth. So I, I don't care uh, i would think it would be harder to get open against corners than linebackers and safeties like i think it's like even i think it's even speaks more to pits ian can you pick can you picture ditka playing out wide and just picking up <laughs> cornerbacks and throwing no. them off the field and catching the ball mike ditka is my guy mike ditka i am not lying to you he is he's one of the most generous guys i've ever been around he used to give a hundred dollar tips to everybody Everybody, he kept it in his pocket. And, and the guy with the squeegee thing on the side of the road, $100. One guy would show up at NBC every single week to open the door for Mike going into the studio when we were doing the pregame show, $100. I've never I've never seen any human being like him. He's like the greatest. I love Mike Ditka. Sounds so, like uh, J Jimmy from Goodfellas giving the bartender money just for keeping the ice cubes cold, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, the flex position. Cooper Cup has lost his mind this year. I, I, I mean, it, it is Matthew Stafford and he get to the facility at like 6 a.m. every day. They watch two hours of film together before every single, uh, before anybody else gets in the building. And nobody can figure out why they keep throwing the ball like that. It, I mean, he just, it's like his boy, man. I mean, if you eat breakfast with the guy every single day, you're going to throw him the ball. But Cupper's sort of recreated some of these goal line routes and different things. It's cool to watch him. That's my thing with it is how easy it is from time and time again. You know, we have all these fancy PFF stats in our back end with Ultimate, and we have our separation metrics. And eight of his nine touchdowns, he's been considered open or wide open. And we know he's a great talent, whether you got a close defender or not. But it's like at some point, at least in fantasy land, you know, Matt, throw the ball to Higby, throw the ball to Bobby Trees a couple times. Give a, give a brother a break out there, man. We got the <laughs> offensive line, Colton Miller of the Raiders. That's great for him. No problem. Pressures on 37 blocking snap, pass blocking snaps. Joel Petonio, Jason Kelsey, who, you know, we, we don't give Jason Kelsey nearly the love that we do his brother, but that sucker has played like this forever, forever at center for the Eagles. Um, Alex Kappa with Tampa Bay, no pressures, 41 pass blocking snaps. Winu with the Patriots, uh, our other guy, Aaron Donald, I'm not, whatever, he's always there. Malik <laughs> Collins from Houston. I didn't know anybody from Houston could make our team. Uh, Jason Pierre Paul, Tampa Bay. Jonathan Cooper, I do not know Jonathan Cooper. Who is Jonathan Cooper from Denver? He's stepping up without Bond and Bradley Chubb, that's for sure. He got. He has five total pressures. Good for him. Devondre Campbell, uh, the linebacker, Fred Warner from San Francisco. Big day for him. Jalen Ramsey, the game winner there. Rasul Douglas from Green Bay. Rasul Douglas, really? He's on our list, huh? Uh, Kevin Byard, uh, Adrian Amos, and Joan Williams from New England. There you go. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. How about that? 
Want to hear about my old playing days? Nobody does. Or what it's like behind the scenes on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to earn a catered party for February's big game. I'm talking about February's big game. You might have a catered party for February's big game. Because winning starts with asking the right question. From now until February 1st, each football or financial question you submit at westernsouthern.com slash askchris earns you a chance at winning a catered party to the big game in February. Plus, each week, I'll be answering one here, and the team at Western and Southern is answering one financial question on their Instagram at Western and Southern. Uh, submit your question at uh, westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. And if you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Today, it comes from John of Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Love Lawrenceburg. Now, John, uh, you asked, do you think roughing the passer has gone too far? If you were a head of officiating, would you change to ensure the rule was enforced fairly across the league? I think it's a great question. I, I really do, because it frustrates the heck out of all football people, including quarterbacks sometimes. It really does, because they think the game has gone soft. But I'll say this. We've gone into broadcasts with backup or third-string quarterbacks sometimes, and it's not any fun. I mean, it just isn't. We're paying to watch these quarterbacks throw it around the park, and when you get a second or a third-string guy, usually the game isn't nearly as entertaining. So from a personal standpoint, yeah, I hate it sometimes. From a, an NBC broadcaster standpoint, I want those starting quarterbacks to survive the whole year. So I do understand why they do it. So I guess that's my answer. Okay. Then until next time, if you want to submit a question, you can at westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris and enter for a chance to win a catered party for the big game. Right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use the code Collinsworth, C-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H. There you go. Grades and data are live for every single player who logged a snap last week, so go check out the highest-graded players from Week 7 and look to find early value on spread picks and player props for Week 8. And what could you get with PFF subscription? What a great question that is. All of PFF's locked article content, of course, and PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards, our grade-powered projections, cover probabilities, and betting values, zero to 100 grades for every single player, including the top rookies on every team, player prop tool, which is going to show you the plus-minus value for every NFL prop, and so much more. Support the pod. Use the promo code Collinsworth for 25% off any subscription. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. How about that? Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it is that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. 
DraftKings is giving away all new customers a free shot at $1 million in total prizes for their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. How do you get better than that? If you win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Of course, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Uh, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So, it's a beautiful thing. Um, as, as we're getting into this uh, a little bit, I, I want to do a little bit on the quarterbacks and the PPR. So explain to everybody what PPR is, first of all, and who we like this year out of the quarterback position. Yeah, just real quick. With quarterbacks, it doesn't matter as much because PPR is just a full point per reception PPR right there. Sometimes you have half. Sometimes you have standard where you get no points per reception. But these days, the usual normal league type is full point per reception. And just through eight, seven weeks now, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson have been standing out as the top three. But, Dwayne, I think we were talking about this a little bit before the show. It's Josh Allen that actually has been the one that I think more so moving to the second half could emerge as that QB1 because we, as much as we, you know, like looking at the actual producers, we try to follow that volume more and more. And with our PFF expected points tool, Allen actually does stand out as a guy that based on opportunity has been number one so far. Yeah. And with Allen, I mean, the great thing about the Bills, they throw the ball more than the league average in every single situation. So they don't care whether they're trailing, whether the game is within three points, if they're leading, they still throw the ball above the NFL average in every single situation. So trailing is plus 6% versus the NFL average. Whenever they're close, it's plus 6%. Whenever they're leading, it's plus 8%. The only thing that has really kept Allen from throwing so many attempts is they just get so far ahead, even though their leading is a plus 8% versus the NFL average, which is 50%. Um, it's just that they're, they're leading for the whole game. Like they just jump out to such huge leads. So it'll be interesting to see Josh Allen, if they can just get into some more competitive game scripts. Same thing for Kyler Murray. He just hadn't really had to do a lot yet. Yeah, yeah Kyler Murray, I was watching the, the game tape the other day of, of their game. Uh, they have some pretty magical, tricky sort of things, right? And um, I, I always think of what they are um, – you know, is is he just a scrambling quarterback? Is he running around and making plays? But this offense now is gotten really creative. Um, I don't know what losing J.J. Watt's going to do to him on the defensive side of the ball. But the question that I get more than anything else is, do you think it's for real? I mean, is this the best team in the football right now? <sighs> Sure, sure starting to look that way. I think, uh, you know, but we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so I'm looking forward to seeing how we're going to have the answer. Stand up. No, but it won't exactly. matter. Because <laughs> if Green Bay gets beat, it's going to be, oh, they didn't have Devontae Adams. They, you know, yep. they had COVID running yep. through the building. Believe me, nobody's going to roll over and go, absolutely, Arizona's the best team. <laughs> yeah. Well, but they are it, doing some interesting things. Like they're first in play action, 37%. They're second in no huddle, 29%. 
And they're kind of funny, right? They don't run a lot of 11 personnel with three wide receivers. It's only 42%, but they lead the league in 10 personnel. And that's how they get Rondell Moore. They get Christian Kirk on the field all the time. It's just they've got a variety of ways that they can beat you. And, I mean, basically, Kyler Murray can step, sit back there and he can pick which matchup he likes the most. Um, and then they like to run 12 personnel, which is why they had to go out and get Zach Ertz after they lost Max Williams. And then what does Zach Ertz do? I know it makes you so excited, Ian, to watch Zach Ertz run to get a to get a rushing attempt uh whenever you know your favorite account on twitter i think is that one that talks about how zach Ertz can never get a yard after the catch so it's the he blonde here he had a big run after the catch the other yeah. day. and, and yeah. aj green who's been hurt for the last 15 years in cincinnati goes to arizona i guess it's the warm weather i have no idea and now he's like lighting the world on fire out there I thought that Kyler throw to A.J. Green, I think at the proper football guy term, I think it's the honey hole in that cover, too, if you throw it down the sideline. You will not Ky- hear me say that on national television. <laughs> I promise you that. I've thought but, that a couple of times. I go, I cannot say that. Can't do no, it. What I've heard but is that, turkey hole. Turkey holes. There I've we heard. go. That's, That's been be it the whole season, though. That. 70% catchable deep ball rate for the Cardinals this year. No one else is over 65. Like Kyler, he's so much more than the dual threat because every time he throws the ball downfield, good things are happening. So I, I want to go on to fantasy running backs here. because I mean, It's a great way for me to bounce around and learn the league anyway, just talking fantasy football. I love doing it. So Derrick Henry, um, this guy is like lapping the field. And he did, I don't think he had over 100 the, the other day. But the entirety of the opposing game plan is to put as many human beings down in the box to stop him. And now you've got these two receivers outside. Uh, and Brown, I think, in particular, has just been lighting the world on fire. But he's only seeing man coverage. He's only seeing one-on-one opportunities. Like, sign me up to play a little while in Tennessee right now. How hard can it be to catch a pass when you're always against one-on-one coverage? Yeah, it's great. I mean, when you look at I know this is kind of talking about the receivers a little bit, Chris, which I know you're always okay with talking about receivers. I'm, I'm good with you that. You know, I mean, A.J. Brown, whenever you look at him and you look at what he gets from a play-action standpoint, 46% of his targets come off of play-action. That is by far the first in the NFL. And for fantasy football, what's cool is, like, we can actually isolate that. A play-action target is worth 15 to 20% more for receivers than non-play-action targets just because it creates really? that additional space. Hold yep. on. You- Hold on. I'm writing this down. 15 <laughs> to 20% more yes. valuable than a, than a non-play-action target. Yep. Oh, you might and, hear that one on the air this week. Yeah. If and this so is it, a it's blowout, just, it's, I'm getting that on. <laughs> it's it's the run after the catch too. It just creates more space. And when you've got athletes like AJ Brown, it's just it's it's why every year when we look at him in rack or whether you want to call it yak, you know he's one of the leaders every single year. You see the same thing in San Francisco with Debo Samuel, right? Now they run yeah. those at different depths, but it's all very similar schemes that you're seeing those plays come off of. But as as far as Henry goes, I mean the beauty of it for Henry is the Titans don't care, Chris. They're running the ball no matter what. Whenever they trail, they actually run the ball 6% more than the NFL average. When they're in a close game, which means within three points, they run the ball 8% more than the NFL average. And when they're leading, they run the ball 3% more than the NFL average. So basically Mike Vrabel said, no matter what, trailing, close, leading, we're going to stick with Derrick Henry. But then they're able to go play action. Do you have to have 
a lot of rushes for play action to work? No, but I do think when you have a player like Derrick Henry, you have to you have to pay special attention to that, which is what you talked about. It just creates all these one-on-one matchups. What would be interesting is, can Julio Jones ever get going too? He just hasn't been able to stay healthy so far this this season, and and maybe maybe he's over the hill. I don't know, but if they could get no. two of these guys going, that would be that would be great. I mean, the scary jump in thing there, about, Ian. I know you got some Julio. <laughs> let me just say this, Ian. The the scary thing about Derrick Henry is historically he doesn't get going until like the last month and a half of the season. Like he's like a just another guy. Now he's sitting at, right at a thousand yards or something, and he hasn't even gotten to the honey hole part of the season yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most wild part. Like I have gone through by month to see what his yards per carry are in September. Derrick Henry for his career. Four yards per carry. October, 4.4. November, 5.6. December, 5.5. Derrick Henry in January, 5.3 yards per carry. So I, are we going to start seeing three 400-yard games on a weekly basis here once winter comes, man? It's possible. I, I, I have no idea. Now I, got, I have to get to my favorite subject on planet Earth, though. Jamar Chase. The, the catch and run he made the other day on third and two or whatever it was, the catch alone was good. Making the first guy miss was good. The spin around was good. And then outrunning everybody looking like Usain Bolt going into the end zone. I'm like, who is this guy? I, I, it, it, he really, and I said, I wasn't even joking. I was, I said on the air the other night, I said, I think he's the best receiver in the history of the Bengals, and he's seven games into his career. Like, that's insane. That's insane. And at this point, I think like Justin Jefferson kind of had the same thing going on last year. Like, these guys are performing so, so well as a rookie, and we almost need to take a step back and realize they're not just playing this great as a rookie. They are already in the top 10 conversation, regardless of how many years For they've been sure. in the league. Yeah. And right now, Jamar, we only have four wide receivers with at least 25 targets that have been averaging over three yards per out run. Usually over the course of a whole season in the last 10 years, it's been like Julio and Devontae Adams have hit that mark, and that's about it. And right now, it's Jamar Chase in first, followed by Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, and Devontae Adams. Just already spectacular company. And Chris, to your point about all the yak stuff, we saw in that matchup like yeah we saw him stretch the field vertically really in the first six weeks of the season no problem and he was fantastic doing so but to show that new part of his game against marlon humphreys of all people it was just spectacular marlon humphreys is amazing i'm gonna tell you a slight what i consider to be what's really interesting is that these guys are basically assuming the catch you know, when, when I watch them, they're not even thinking about catching the ball. Uh, you know, whether it's the gloves, whether it's the way they can rough up the football these days, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I didn't know anybody, maybe Fred Bolitnikoff, that could assume the catch because they used to take the footballs literally right out of the packaging. And they were as slippery as a rain ball is right now. Nobody wore gloves. You didn't have any gloves back then. So you had to kind of work at catching the football. You know, it wasn't always like, Truman, it just stuck. You know, you couldn't. But now they, they are, you know, you always said, don't take your eye off the ball. Look it all the way in. They're not doing that. They just stick their hands down there and they catch the football and their eyes at looking at who they're going to make miss in the next two seconds here. It's like, 
What's the old saying? It's a game with which I am not familiar. That's what these guys are doing right now. <laughs> this is coming from Chase, who, you know, wasn't complaining, but he got asked a question before the season started about all the preseason drops. And he was talking about how he misses the white stripes on the college ball. So it was always something silly to think that someone like Jamar Chase forgot how to catch a football. But yeah, just couldn't be more impressed with everything he's done so far. And Joe Burrow, with what he's doing off of that knee surgery, like you, from day one, nobody thought about it. I mean, it's the most remarkable part of that story to me is nobody even brings it up anymore. This guy had a major reconstruction. Every other quarterback that I know that goes through that, the next year he's, you know, he's he fidgets in the pocket. He's It takes him three or four games to kind of get going again. This kid's tough as nails. He really is. And they, they do seem to be leaning more into the past now, Chris. If you look at the first three games, on first downs in neutral situations, meaning the game is closed, get rid of overtime, get rid of two-minute drill stuff. They were only dropping back to pass 17% of the time. Now they're at 60% over the last four games. So I think they're definitely starting to feel more comfortable with Burrow's health, and now you're starting to see more volume. The thing early on was they, even though they were throwing the ball, they were just not running that many plays per game. They were winning on efficiency, and they still looked good, but now they're starting to open things up. So, I mean, if you look at them for the season, they rank second worst in the NFL in dropbacks at 32.6 per game. But if you look at that over the last three games, it's up to 38.7. So it does feel like this offense is heating up, and they're starting to loosen things up for Burrow. And that's why number one by low receiver in fantasy, T. Higgins. Boom. Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Now, I, I want to ask, we'll get to a couple of the games here. So I just got finished watching the tape uh, of the Patriots and the uh, the Cowboys from a couple of weeks ago because both the teams we have this week, both Minnesota and the Patriots, were on buys uh, the past week. So this is – do the Patriots have a chance to turn this thing around? I mean, because as we as we look at these young quarterbacks, if you had to say today, which one of the young quarterbacks wins the game of five between these guys? And I think Trevor Lawrence certainly, with his run skills and what he's been able to do, you know, has an impact. But Mac Jones has been fairly consistent throughout the course of his rookie season. And I kind of get the feeling that the Patriots are very slowly and with nobody watching beginning to put a few things together. They really should have probably beaten the Dallas Cowboys in that game the other day. Yeah, I think if anything, their defense has been letting them down a little bit in recent weeks. That Texans game was as close as it was because Davis Mills went for 300-plus and three touchdowns. The big change that I've seen Mac have, particularly starting in that Cowboys game, has been that deep ball because that kind of was their offense's problem in the first five weeks of the year. Mac was only 4 of 19 on passes thrown 20 yards downfield. He graded out as only our 33rd best quarterback on those deep balls. And 32 starting QB is not good if you can't even crack the top 32. But over the past two weeks, he's five for nine, 190 yards, two touchdowns, and zero picks. Maybe if some of those Cowboys safeties were taking a little bit better angles, we wouldn't have that big of numbers. But either way, 
our fifth highest graded quarterback on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield over the past two weeks. So, no, he doesn't have the scrambling ability of Lawrence, Lance, or Fields. But, man, if he can start forcing defenses to defend, you know, not only short and intermediate areas, but really start stretching that backbone of the secondary, yeah, I think ceiling is really a lot higher for this Patriots offense than many envisioned. All right, I'm going to tell you one story I think happened with that long play where Mac Jones hit it right after the pick six and comes back mm-hmm. with the long one. Yeah. Demonte KZ, who's the free safety in that in that setup, he's the one that missed the play, you know. And but it was it was interesting from my standpoint because I'm I'm watching that and about three plays before that KZ did something to his shoulder. He went out of the game. To start the next series, he came back in the game, but already, I mean, I could almost see him sort of holding that shoulder, and you wonder, does your body just react when you know you're hurt in some little different kind of way? I, I, was, I go, I wonder what's going to happen here, and sure enough, he came back in, and that was part of it. Yeah. Not All I know is my brother and dad were both having heart attacks because <laughs> we just had the Diggs pick six and my phone's blowing up with all these texts. And then literally, like, you know, just a couple minutes later, it's like, oh, God, what just happened? It, it was it, that game was just it was crazy. It was crazy. And, and it was fun to watch. So now the Patriots are playing the Chargers this week. And it looks like the Chargers are big favorites. But I, I – I, I'm interested. I'm interested to see what we get next out of this Patriots team. I, I know Belichick. I know that coaching staff. They put things together slowly. They put in everything. And so they don't get to practice anything a whole bunch. But by the time they get to December, they can be so versatile in what they can do defensively. I, I'm just curious. I'm curious to watch that one. I think they might match up actually pretty well. You know, we were going over our PFF team of the week, and uh, we had Jawan Johnson from the Patriots getting that. I mean, this is a six foot three, two hundred twelve pound corner with his arms basically dragging on the ground. There aren't many guys that can you know go compete with Mike Williams on jump balls, but he might just be one of them. And you know, we uh, we have had the Dak Prescott, the Davis Mills game showing off, but J.C. Jackson I think is someone that is like a Trayvon Diggs to an extent, where he might give us some yards here or there, but you'll take that when you're getting as many picks so obviously Herbert's worst game as a rookie came against the Patriots hopefully it'll be another fun one I just hope Mac Jones can uh, keep up on the scoreboard the Chargers will definitely have to fix their long down and distance stuff because they're the worst in the league right now they're facing more long down and distance on third down than any other team and we know that's something that Belichick will cause problems with so they're going to need to get ahead on down and distance sooner they can't they can't be in, you know, third and seven, third and eight, and third and nine all day long and expect, you know, to overcome what Belichick's going to throw at Herbert. We all see they do not get blown out very much, and I think the they're like five point favorites, six point favorites, something like that. Yeah. The Bucks and Saints. I, now, I was so pumped for this game that we did last year. We're in Tampa, and I'm I'm telling the world that I think the Buccaneers are the best team in football because of the, I watched the game against Green Bay and they were down 10 nothing, and, you know, this defense is starting to click and the secondary is starting to do good. And we go to Tampa and watch that game, and the Saints beat them 38-3. to I've never seen a beatdown like that before. But the one thing that the Saints historically have done is do a pretty good job against Tom Brady, and they certainly did in that game. Um, do the Saints – 
have a chance? I mean, this is like they're at home. You know, they're they're big underdogs, like four and a half points, something like that. Tell me why the Saints might be able to pull this off. They're really the only defense to make Brady look at all mortal since he's joined the Buccaneers. Like, okay, I know that one was really when the wheels uh, fell off pretty much for the only time last year. But even the playoff game, like, okay, you got, you got your win. But to hold Brady under 200 yards in the year 2021, you just don't see that that often. So since he joined Tampa Bay, Brady has a 4-5 to five touchdown to interception ratio against the Saints, 67-13 to 13 against everyone else. So he's averaging a full 1.7 fewer yards per Per attempt you know I guess the one big match that's going to probably decide how that Tampa Bay offense goes is Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore and man you saw Lattimore like already getting ready for the chippiness with DK Metcalf uh, the other night obviously these two already have a history as well but you know it's best on best and I think if Evans can't win the matchup which he's done before that's just going to make you know if the Saints really need to start devoting extra attention to that Evans spot then you got Goblin then you got Fournette just a lot of options to cover so hey, Lattimore can no pull Antonio. out his on the deal. No, yeah, Antonio, no Antonio Brown, Brown right? So, I mean, it, it, there's going to be a lot. And we have seen Lattimore win that matchup. I mean, let's just say what it is. We've seen him win that matchup. So that's going to put a lot on those other players, Godwin and company. Yep, Ty Johnson, all those guys. I think the key, though, will be, like, Jameis Winston's going to have to play well. Like, he can't just manage the game, most likely. I, I know they blew them out last year but they're going to have to put up at least enough points. And I think so far what I've seen from the Saints is like, if at all possible, they don't want to throw the ball. <laughs> they just want to run the ball and they don't want it. They don't want to deal with the mistakes. They don't want to deal with the, with the sacks that put them in the long down and distance. Those are things that have historically been problems for Jameis. He's been a little better this year, but I think Sean Payton is still a little bit worried about that. Um, so I think that will be the most interesting aspect. You know, if they can, Keep it close, you know, but I do think Winston's going to have to open it up a little bit more than what we've seen here in the past few weeks. So what do you think the Saints do this offseason? Do they stick with Jameis? I, I don't think so. I, I don't know about your yeah. thoughts, Ian. Like, I, I know it makes Saints fans mad on Twitter. They're like, oh, give him time. I'm like, well, we've given Jameis quite a long time, and it still pretty well, much like looks the same. <laughs> Look at his pass stats, man. It took him to like week six to even get 30 pass attempts in a single game when we saw Sean Payton throwing the ball around more than anyone else for pretty much the better part of the past uh, decade. So maybe the fact that, look, I'm not, you know, Mike Renner, I'm not grinding all the college film as much as everyone else. To my knowledge, this college draft class is looking quite as hot. So Jameis might be the best bet for another year or so. But, you know, we're going to need to see the better version of him, I think, more often than not here in the second half for sure. Yeah, I think and, I think and, the way the coaching staff's handling him tells me all I need to know. They they right. throw the ball nine percent less than the league average when they're trailing. When they're trailing, they throw the ball nine percent less than the league average. Whenever they're close, they throw it three percent less. Whenever they're leading, they throw it eleven percent less than the league average. These aren't just close, like oh, it's two or three percent off. These are like drastic. We don't want to be throwing the ball if we don't have to. It's almost back to Bill Parcells kind of football when you had Vinny Testaverde, which, hey, you do have Sean Payton did spend time under Bill Parcells in Dallas, so maybe that's where he's getting it from. Yeah, he does his production meetings with us the same way, too. He doesn't tell us anything. So, <laughs> um, And one, one final question here about the Kansas City Chiefs. They play the Giants this week. Um, the Giants are getting 10 and a half points, I guess, in, in that game. Uh, but this is 
this is kind of it for Kansas City, right? You can't lose at home to the New York Giants and still make any sort of claim that you're the team because right now the AFC is just it's a mess. I mean, everybody's sitting there. The NFC is like so clear cut. Everybody's undefeated or one loss, and you already know who five of the seven playoff teams are going to be. The AFC, I dare anybody to tell me who those seven playoff teams are going to be, but the, the Chiefs can't fall out of that race with a loss to the Giants at home. I mean, they keep getting these like NFC East bounce back games right when everyone is starting to panic. Because lest we forget, this was a one and two team before they had to go into Philly. They get that win and right the ship. Then they lose to the Bills. Then they get to go beat up on the Washington football team. They lose to the Titans and the Giants come to town. So they even got the Cowboys in week 11 coming up before uh, too long. Wouldn't say that'll be quite as much of a get right spot as these other ones. But at the end of the day, I mean, I just, hey, Maybe Patrick Mahomes is now going to only score three points every week. I feel like that's not going to be the case. And with that in mind, I don't know how Daniel Jones is going to keep up when he doesn't have his top three receivers or Saquon Barkley. So I know Danny Dimes, he hasn't helped himself with all the fumbles over the years. But before he got concussed in that Cowboy game, he was PFF's second highest graded quarterback as a passer this season. So I hope just for the competitive sake, maybe to get this line under 10 points, one of Tony, Galladay, Shepard, or Saquon can come back and try and make this thing more competitive. So you're saying the NFC East is like Uber Eats? You just, <laughs> they order, they deliver it right to your door, and you just, you eat that NFC East meal, and then you go on to the rest of the league? At least for the non-Cowboys of the group, that's what it's, that's the way it's played out. Hey, Chris, I have a question, like, and I don't know what your thoughts are. I know you watch the film, but, like, when you look at the Chiefs, the biggest thing that I've noticed, like, from a data perspective, and I, I watch the games too, but, you know, I don't study them the way that you do. Um, you know, it's the explosive plays, the 15-plus yard plays, right? He's averaging 12.2% when I say he, Patrick Mahomes, this year. If you look at 2020, he was at 18.9%. 2019 was 16.9%. 2018, his huge year, 22.9% of his pass plays went for 15 yards or more. And this year, you're at 12.2%. Like, are you seeing something with the way defenses are playing the Chiefs that's really causing this problem? Or do you think it's yeah. just something? Go ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, they're all doing the same exact thing. They're just playing two deep safeties and taking Tyreek Hill out of the game. Yep. And, you know, it's it's nobody cares if Tyreek Hill catches a couple of balls underneath and breaks a tackle and, you know, whatever. But what kills you is when the avalanche starts with those deep balls and and you play single high safety against them i don't i literally don't know how you stop it you're either going to have tyree kill in the slot running across the face of the safety and he can't catch him or he's going to run as fast as he can like he's going to do that and then he's going to peel back the other way meanwhile the cornerbacks on either side have these dig routes and all these underneath routes where it's like Okay, do you want us to throw it to Tyree Kill on this deep over 50 yards? Are you going to cover this comeback on the outside with your cornerback? And I'll take either one you don't do. So, you know, the, Andy Reid's notorious for flooding the side of the field 
almost always with four receivers and leaving a single Kelsey or Hill on the other side. But a lot of times now, they'll send all five guys into one half of the field to overload your zone defense. But right now, teams are just not giving them that. They're just playing two deep, quarters coverage, let's lay back, let them check it down, and see if they can beat us in the red zone. That's exactly what Tampa did in the two games last year. In the first game against Tampa, they tried to play man coverage, and Tyreek Hill crushed them. (laughs) The next time they came back, and really at the end of the first game, in the second half of the first game, they started playing zones. They never went to man, especially in the red zone, just played well, hold them to field goals, and that's what everybody else is doing right now. And it's working, and it's really frustrating I think everybody there, Andy and Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and Mahomes, you can just so what, see what it. is the adjustment that you make for that? Like, is it just a mentality thing where they've got to be okay with working their way down the field and not trying to force it? Or like, what what's the next chess move for the Chiefs? Yeah, there is no next chess move. That's exactly (laughs) what you have to do. You have to be able to play and make 12 plays without making a big mistake. And holding counts as a big mistake. Offensive pass interference is a big mistake. There just aren't those plays that seem to be like an adrenaline rush for this franchise because once they get one, it feels like there's three, four, five come right after them. And I, I you know, it, it, they're preaching patience. They're saying all the right things. They're doing all the right things. But Mahomes doesn't get to do his sideway throws, doesn't get to go scramble out of the pocket and throw it 90 yards across the field. You know, it is, it is like he has to play in a Bill Walsh like system. And I think he hates it. I think it's driving him nuts. And uh, and it's got to be driving Tyreek Hill nuts because he's not getting some of those opportunities. And I think they've tried over the years to add a third member to this passing game that could help in some of these situations, obviously giving Sammy Watkins that big free agency contract, drafting Claude Edwards-Hilaire in large part for his contributions as a receiver. And they even made Juju Smith-Schuster a pretty good offer in this uh, free agency period. So if they could just find that more consistent underneath threat, which just Mikko Harbin hasn't been to this point, that might help. But like Chris, I feel like Mahomes is aware of this. He said before this season started going back Back to that Bucks game that he does need to be uh, a little bit more patient. And I thought uh, our own Mike Renner, PFF Mike, had a good point about it where it's almost like how Aaron Rodgers was playing a little bit before Matt LaFleur got there where when you're that freaking good and he pulled off so many incredible plays sometimes you do just start to think like i can make a big play happen out of nowhere every time and maybe that's why he's not taking you know uh not taking the profit or whatever yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really hard. They get Josh Gordon in there, and you know he certainly could be a little bit of that weapon. Uh, but no Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, is a problem. I mean, that's why he was drafted. Uh, but our guys will tell you at PFF, it's like, you want to take a check down instead of throwing the ball? Go for it, right? And, and it's just, it's been the methodical way that they've been forced to play that I think just is making them so uncomfortable. And if they get in against an offense that can match them like Buffalo could, like Tennessee can, uh, then the frustration just seems to grow and grow and grow. And right now they've got to have a little confidence issue going in after the way that Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee, who thought Tennessee was going to hold anybody to three points this year? (laughs) 
All of a sudden, they can rush the quarterback. Kansas City's got a, a new look offensive line still coming together. The two tackles are not, you know, going to be clean every single week. Uh, it, it's it's just a phenomenon. I mean, it really is to see a team go from world beaters to what we saw in the Super Bowl, and then everybody just follow that same blueprint. Good stuff. Guys, I think that should be enough. You have worked overtime already here today. I appreciate you uh, letting me steal you away from everybody a bit. Uh, but give me give me one note for fantasy football this weekend for them to take forward. Yeah, I would just say, you know, if you can go out there on the waiver wire and on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Dwayne and I break down the waiver wire each and every week and catch those episodes on Tuesday. But don't sleep on new Jets starting running back Michael Carter really being uh, a big-time producer down the stretch. I know the Jets aren't a good offense. That hasn't exactly stopped DeAndre Swift and James Robinson from balling out over the years. We chase volume in fantasy football, not necessarily talent. Carter could be a rare instance of someone having both. So we saw a Nice little post-buy bump for the rookie. And believe me, people, if he is still out there on the waiver wire, go get him because you just don't find these players with the sort of touch ceiling he has moving forward waiting there just to be plucked up. Yeah, my biggest thing would just be, you know, these players like Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, like go buy low if you can. I mean, I know they're not performing up to where you drafted them, but all of the underlying metrics that we look at, like as far as their targets, targets per route run, are they on the field enough? Does their quarterback like them on third down, in the end zone? All these things, Diggs, Ridley, Keenan Allen, like they're all due. They're all going to eventually blow up. They all play in good offenses that like to throw the ball. The, the Falcons are quietly getting better over the last three games. Arthur Smith's offense is taking hold. They're actually pushing the ball down the field. They're using more play action. You got Pitts really getting in a groove. Calvin really hadn't even hit his groove yet, right? And you got Cordell Patterson, who we already talked about. So Ridley, Diggs. Keenan Allen, go get them. A few weeks ago, Ian's big one was A.J. Brown. And now you've seen him come out and have 28%, 38%, 33% of the team's targets. You're going to get the same thing from these other players, and they play in good offenses. So go see what you can do to make a deal. Ian, Dwayne, thank you guys so much. We'll uh, definitely keep you guys in our little rotation here. It's always fun. It's a different way to think about and talk about football for me. So I enjoy the heck out of these shows. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, Thanks, Chris.